Welcome to episode 335 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. There was a contest and I had to choose which month was the best. It would easily be June. Despite the fact that my birthday's in September and of course, the holidays and my kids' birthdays are in December. Actually, that's one of the reasons December is not my favorite month. Too many expectations and responsibilities crammed into just a few weeks. But June, that's when my summer really kicks off and my weekend plans start to fall into place. For our family, Pride Month is basically a month of holiday festivities. Our weekends are filled with pride parades and pride festivals of all sizes. In the middle of all that, we mark our kiddos' half birthday by inviting some of their friends over to enjoy a bouncy house and running around with water balloons. It's a month filled with trans joy and queer joy, and I need that right now as the news cycle keeps bringing me bad news on the LGBTQ plus front got to fill up my pride tank in June before I head to Florida in July for the National Speakers Association Conference. Why am I even going, even though the Florida governor has put a target on trans kids and trans adults? He even passed a law that says that we all have to use a gendered bathroom based on the sex we were assigned at birth, meaning I, as a trans man, I'm supposed to use the women's restroom. I'm not sure how well that's going to go over. I'm going, though, because facts don't change hearts and minds, but getting to know someone with a different identity and different lived experience does. I believe my voice, my physical presence as a trans man is important at this event, and I'm grateful to LGBTQ plus allies who will be there to have our back. Next, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive into this week's interview. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. Today's guest is a hippie turned business coach that has spent the last decade running a successful LinkedIn consulting business. This inspired her to create a global movement, encouraging people to bring more empathy and kindness to business and marketing. She's written two books, including Marketing Like We're Human and Selling Like We're Human. She's the host of the Humane Marketing Podcast and works with hard-centered entrepreneurs to question their assumptions when it comes to marketing and permit them to market their business, their way, the gentle way. She shares a fresh perspective and doesn't shy away from calling things out that no longer work for many of us regarding the traditional marketing model. Please join me in welcoming Sarah Santacroce. Welcome. 
Thanks, Robbie. So good to be here. Well, thank you. And you're joining us all the way from Switzerland. Thrilled that you were able to do this by the power of virtual. Uh, as you know, this is a show about building strong networks, but the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Yeah, thank you for that question that I think is so important right now because I do feel like we're requiring different leaders than the ones we currently have. And so to me, leadership is all about showing up and yeah, coming with your point of view and sharing that point of view, but then also hosting the space to have other people share their point of view. So it's not just about being the loudest voice out there, but kind of coming with this hu humility and saying, you know, this is my opinion. Let's have a conversation. Uh, what is your opinion? And then learning from each other. I think it's so important to, uh, you know, tap into this shared humanity and shared collective intelligence that we have available. So to me, that's leadership, humble leadership. Yeah, I, I'm sensing like hum, humble humility, being willing to to host a space where other people can share their perspectives, their lived experience. You know, it's funny because, of course, that really strongly contrasts with the traditional, you know, when we think of like the strong, domineering leader who's like demanding. And yeah, that's a short lived way of getting people to follow you. But long term, recognizing someone else's contributions, inviting them to be part of that is it seems like that would work better. How did you start to really unfold this particular type of leadership? When did you start realizing you had some of these skill sets? Well, I could go back all the way to probably like age 10 when I was kind of the, the leader in, in our neighborhood um, group with of kids. And we had this uh, gang that, you know, organized things together and stuff like that. But then yeah, I really truly just always showed up as the kind of the spokesperson and it which is kind of contradictory because I'm a very strong introvert, but I ha kind of have this presence where people kind of always started looking to me and even though I'm quiet and reserved, um probably it's this calm presence that people are like, oh, you know, she has something to say, we better listen and shut up. So that's kind of how I, um, yeah, and then also built my business. And now with the Humane Marketing Circle, that's really the type of leadership that I bring to the circle. So we have this principle of a leader in each chair. So I'm not the marketing guru that shares my blueprint and this is how you have to do humane marketing. But I open up the circle to say, you're all experts in your field. You know, people have businesses and it doesn't matter how long they're in business. They come with a certain expertise already before that. And so let's tap into that collective intelligence and, and yeah, open the space for shared leadership. That's what I would say, Robbie. I really appreciate this. And I, I want to go back a little bit to those early days because you, it sounds like you were in a neighborhood with lots of kids. So in elementary school, uh, you were all organizing activities together. But I'm curious because usually when kids have a leader, it's the louder person in the room. Like it's the more <laughs> like, you know, traditional model. Right. So if you're kind of not just an introvert, but it sounds like you're also kind of not the most outspoken person, um, not the most gregarious. 
how were you taking on leadership at such a young age? Like what were people sort of seeing in you and, and where do you think that came from? Mm, yeah, thanks for that. I think that's also a good place to kind of share the hippie uh, story because, you know, you mentioned that in the in the intro and and yeah, so I did grow up in a, what I call now a hippie commune. It was uh, uh, basically my parents bought an apartment building with uh, six other families. And so those are mainly the kids that I uh, refer to. So we we really grew up together. We, we all had our, our separate apartments, but we shared a lot of time with each other. Like we had, basically I had like three different rooms and we shared time in each of the kids' rooms, right? And so um, I think what we learned, and this is definitely also coming from the parents, what they modeled for us is this shared living, is this shared, you know, organizing. Uh, I remember they had meetings every month where they would all discuss and make these decisions together. And we, as kids, you know, were smart. We see what our parents do and we kind of model that and role model that. And so in a way, I stepped into one of these roles because I was the oldest child of that of that group. And so I just kind of mirrored what my parents were doing with, you know, taking notes during meetings and then organizing and distributing tasks and who does what and follow up and and uh, yeah, all of that. And it was it was just kind of to me, it felt so natural. That's just how you live together and that's how you do things. And then only um like I only shared this hippie story like probably about five years ago now. And it was like this hidden thing that I was like, no, this, you know, this shouldn't go out there in the business world and the professional world. People are going to think it's weird. Um, and once I finally did, I felt so relief and I had, I realized how much it, it, it really is who I am. And that's also kind of like the leader that I am now in the, in my community, right? It's like those values that I grew up with that were so important. And yet I didn't see those values in business, in the way we're taught to be marketers and all of that. So now kind of going full circle and coming back to that and saying, well, that's the way I want to do business. That's the way my people want to do business and marketing. And it feels really good. Yeah, it sounds like that moment <clears throat> of growing up, that that environment of growing up, it really had such an impact on how you sort of view the world, like the worldview that you start from, what you see as sort of a given, right? People exactly. live communally, they work things out in a thoughtful way, there are structures and a process. And of course, kids emulate what parents are doing, what the adults mm -hmm. around them are doing. So your play probably reflected a lot of what their life was like, their real life, your play yeah. that you know, represents that. Um, and just just cool that you're also able to sort of see some of the adults like activity that a lot of that usually happens, you know, outside of the eyes of children and here children are sort of able to witness and, and identify with that. And then of course it, it's, you, you go out into the world and you discover the world's not built that way and you start to feel like almost like this is a secretive thing that you don't want to you don't want to bring out because people might make assumptions about you. Right. You know, uh, it, it, I have to tell you, like when you say like buying a, a building for all these people, like I've always thought that would be a really cool way to, to raise a family. Like, yeah, you know, now there's like all these um, 
these communities that are springing up like all over the world that are doing that intergenerationally across multiple families. Like it's really cool. Beautiful. Yeah. And and it's it's very different from like, we all live in our own little homes with our own perfect lawns, right? It's a very different model. And for kids, it's so important to actually have different references, you know, rather than just one or two adults. It's it's good to have different adults to go to because I remember uh, our neighbor, um, he didn't have kids. And so he kind of was this you know, different dad to me who had, who listened to other things that my dad didn't, wasn't able to listen to because he had other problems, right? Like bringing food and all of these. And so I would always go to Rolf for, for different things where I felt like, oh, he has an open ear for that. And it's so important for kids. And yet we don't really, um, yeah, we don't really, I don't know if we don't value it or it's just our society doesn't work that way today. Did you seek out any formal leadership roles when you were in junior high or high school? Like, you know, run for class office of some kind or maybe an not, after school You know, club? I was always a rebel, not, not not like the ones that teachers wanted me to take. But uh-huh. I remember uh, we were like really distraught because they were going to cut down a giant and really old tree in, in the schoolyard. And so I basically said, hey, we need to save this tree. So let's put together a, a community and, you know, collect signatures. And, and so things like that, that's that's where I stepped into leadership, but not what the adults wanted me to do, but more like, you know, different activist roles, basically. You know, I don't think I've talked about it on this show, but my first formal activism, my um, junior high chorus teacher brought to our attention that there were still steel jaw traps and she was uh, learned that there was a law that was being passed to, or they wanted to get a law passed to, to stop steel jaw traps, which are just incredibly inhumane. Um, Mm. And so uh, that was my first time getting petitions signed. And I went at it full gusto in like seventh grade, you know, and uh, that led to, I mean, so many more opportunities. Once you realize you have the ability to do something and people Mm. will listen but I think what I liked about it is like it wasn't a formal role in in like the school organization. Um, I tended to take on a lot more things that are sort of slightly outside of that. That was my first time recognizing that was possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were 12 or so, did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Was there sort of a, a plan laid out in front of you? No, I'll be honest and just say no. Um, I was always good at languages. So English is not my mother tongue. And, and I was really good at French and Italian. So I thought maybe something with languages, but then I realized that it's actually quite lonely as a translator or anything like that. So no, I didn't really have an idea. And then I went into marketing, uh, ended up you know, in corporate and I was like, no, this is not for me. And so, um, yeah, eventually left that and, and have been in my own business for 15 years almost now, so. So yeah. was college officially part of the plan? Was that was it was that a given, or was it more like go find your way in the workforce? Yeah, you know, I I actually didn't go to college, so that was also part of the the kind of the rebel and finding my own way. So I I left um, home at eighteen, uh, moved to Paris, uh, learned French, and then from there entered the workforce, and and yeah kind of just always made my own path. Um, I think that's really what I'm, I'm kind of like 
you know, rebel against the systems kind of girl. You know, it's like, no, you want me to fit into a mold? I don't want to. And so I'm surprised even now that I stuck with almost, you know, 12 years with this kind of like, oh, this is how online business just works. And really just doing everything that the gurus were telling us to do. Because before that, I did everything, you know, differently. And so I'm just so glad to be out of that now and actually found myself again. And like, this is who I've always been. It's just I've, I've been jaded for 12 years by by this online marketing world, really. Yeah. Well, you must be really good at languages to move to another country to work, having not yet a great capacity with that language is is not something most people would do. But um, how did you even find your way into marketing to begin with? Like that's, I I feel like it's almost like one of those hidden roles that clearly from a very young age, children are marketed at. uh, But at what point do you become aware that that's a job that someone has? Uh, So how did you, how do you sort of find your way into the whole originally like the more traditional marketing world? Yeah, right. It was um so so there's two things. First, probably the 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 corporate uh, stuff and that's kind of you know just coincidence. I I slid into it. I was good at languages like I said, and marketing is all about words, right? And so people started realizing, oh, she's really good with words. She knows how to say things and and so that's how I got uh, into marketing. PR and marketing was kind of both. And then when I find, eventually uh, started my own business, we actually moved to California in 2006. And so I was over there, um, had to quit my corporate job because my husband basically got a, a job transfer to California. And I'm like, well, I'm going to start my own business. Um, we had two kids. They were very small at the time. But I I just was never the stay at home mom full time. So I'm like, all right, um, this is the moment I'm going to start my own business. And, and so I uh, set up basically as a virtual assistant, that was what I was going to do. But then it was the, in the middle of the social media boom, uh, you know, 2006, Twitter just started, Facebook was also still in the beginnings. And so I'm like, well, I knew how to market my own business. I can do that for other people. And then did that for four years while we were in California. And then when we eventually moved back to Switzerland, I started to, you know, kind of find my niche. Everybody was telling you to find your niche. And the niche I decided on was LinkedIn because I, first of all, I think it had to do, I didn't realize it at that point, but it had to do with my introversion because LinkedIn I still believe LinkedIn is the perfect uh, social media for introverts. It's more professional. You don't have to share as many, you know, selfies and all of the personal life stuff. So it was perfect for introversion. And it was also like back then you didn't have all these LinkedIn coaches, like nobody was interested in LinkedIn. So we're talking 2008, 2010, around there. So I was basically the first LinkedIn coach in Europe. There was a bunch, um, you know, all over the world, but we all knew each other. And I was the first one here in uh, in Europe. Of course, what I didn't realize when I came back to Switzerland, people are like, LinkedIn? Isn't that for job search? Why would we need that for business? And so I had to pivot again and go, instead of consulting, I had to go into training and basically 
you know, teach companies how do you use LinkedIn for for lead generation, for for social selling and all of that. So it's so interesting. I mean, your trajectory is fascinating. How, how long were you actually doing the more corporate marketing piece? It sounds like you had a, a chunk of time. In yeah, that. that was probably about six years. So yeah. you learn all the like methodologies, the process. Um, then you get uprooted to California to follow a different job that your husband gets. You go into the VA space, which is even then I, I would say it was probably not a well-known not a well-developed no. space. So you thought it was robots back then. <laughs> yeah. You're at the cutting edge, right? The word virtual, like what does that yeah. even mean? Right. So, yeah. so you're the cutting edge of that, but even as a VA, it's really a good idea to sort of find a niche of like what service you provide and who you provide them to. So you find yourself in the social media marketing like landscape, which was just really blowing up back then. Um, everyone was suddenly an expert. <laughs> so, so that's the downside. But LinkedIn was very different back then, um, 2008, 2010. You know, I feel like just in the last even three years, LinkedIn has transformed itself yet again. But back then, it was really just a very static, you know, everyone just uploading their CV, their, their resume, um, job search related, you know, was, there wasn't a lot of like, it wasn't very social. I mean, it, it it's no. now feels like a social platform. It was right. not a social platform then. So you must have had a very uphill battle to try to explain to people <laughs> the, the sheer value because clearly like all these people putting their information out there, if a company wants to do recruiting, a company wants to sell to, you know, certain customers, like people are willingly putting that information in front of you. How do you harvest that in a thoughtful way? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you sort of stumbled into the beginning of something almost ahead of your time. People I've weren't ready. I've always been ahead of my time. I've <laughs> always been like, like, yeah, I, I knew about LinkedIn being ahead of my time, but you just reminded me also the VA thing was ahead of my time. And I do finally feel like with humane marketing, I'm exactly at the right time. <laughs> so, I agree. Like, I mean, I feel I've like in really, certain circles, yeah, yeah, in certain circles. And I do think... Interestingly enough, it's on LinkedIn that I've actually seen the most conversations around um, humane marketing or human marketing or, you know, um, this is what a professional looks like is one of my favorite hashtags on LinkedIn. Oh, my favorite of all time is inked as a hashtag. Oh, that's <laughs> a good one. That's a good that. one, right? Sorry, I love the pun. Um, so, <laughs> so I, but, but it's, it, that's what I mean by it being a very different space now because people are, putting selfies, not of like, just for the sake of a selfie, but to attract attention to a conversation they want to have, right? People are putting themselves forward and having real a realness. I, I think that was really missing. But how do you explain like, how did you go about identifying who your target audience is going to be in those early years, 2008, 2010, when people were these companies were like, why do I need to know about that? Like, how did you start figuring out who your training sort of prospects are going to be? Yeah, it was really kind of word of mouth. Like the the minute I had, I got a few um, clients who were like, "Oh, okay," and and these these were always the B two B businesses, right? So consultant firms, things like that, consultancy. Uh, and so at the minute I had built a small um, kind of list of of clients, 
people then started noticing those on LinkedIn because they put out content and then others were like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you doing that on LinkedIn? And, and then, you know, word of mouth started. But, but yeah, in the beginning, it was, it was interesting. And maybe it also, it actually, I think, helped me moving back to Switzerland because in Switzerland, the mentality really is kind of, um, you know, LinkedIn, I think still up to this day is seen as the more professional network. And so consultants and, and service-based businesses were actually already back then interested. They're like, ah, oh, Facebook, that's just a waste of time. I'm interested if you can do the same thing with LinkedIn. So already back then there was kind of an interest, uh, but they were, I was also getting a lot of requests from, you know, headhunters, uh, things like that. And so at the beginning, I just did everything that came my way as we usually do. And, and then slowly I started saying, no, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a recruiter. I'm not helping you to find the job. I'm really doing this for business to business, but yeah, it took some time to really get them to understand the, the power of this platform. Yeah, I think when you're in the beginning edge of something that is not well known and not well defined, there's a lot of education that's going into it. Yeah. When did the book come? Like, wh what led you to writing the first book? Yeah, the book came so way later. So this is we're now like past uh, the LinkedIn era. So I'm really on the on the way out of that, and that's like five years ago or, or so. So. Tw uh, um, was that 2018, 2019, somewhere there. And, and that is also after my breakdown and breakthrough. So really, I, I came to the point where I'm like, I can't do this anymore with this whole online marketing and the gurus and the pressure and feeling out of integrity doing certain of these marketing techniques. And so I, was, I remember I was doing some work with a therapist and I told her, it's just I feel like I don't fit in in this tough business world. It's all about business is tough. And, and I'm like, I don't want to be that person anymore. And so I basically realized it was either, I guess I was going to give up my LinkedIn business or I was going to come up with a different way. And so that's when this uh, idea of gentle and humane marketing started to uh, to yeah, take shape and, and really realizing, oh, so this is the role for me. It all makes sense with my, you know, rebellious upbringing and, and the leadership. And this is what I have to do. I have to tell people basically that they can do marketing their way, that they don't have to follow what the industry says or what the gurus say. Uh, marketing is just about communication and connection with other humans. And so that's where the marketing like we're human um, idea came from. Yeah, I, mean, I can see how you start struggling when um, there's like a, you know, the scarcity mindset of a lot of marketers, the um, manipulating like people per through persuasion. Um, there's like all these tactics that work. I mean, they do sell. It's just they don't create lifelong customers, people feel manipulated, they feel rushed, they buy things they're not ready for, um, right? And, and, and so in some ways, when you're trying to be, you know, a, a, a business owner, you want to be successful, you feel like you've got to follow these experts or these presumed experts because you need to have steady income. But their methodology, 
you know, particularly the way you grew up and the way you sort of show up in the world, it's just as, you know, it wasn't working for you. Um, but it it also seems really scary to try to figure out another way when there isn't another community of people. Like now there's a community of practice around this. But again, you were in the beginning of this shift. How did you start finding people who shared your values when it came to marketing? How did you start to build you know, a peer network around you that was echoing your values as opposed to these quote unquote experts? Yeah. It was really scary. <laughs> I will definitely admit that. And it still is at certain moments, but I do feel like now that I have people who think my, like me, I see, you know, you, we, we are kind of in the same circles. So, so it helps so much to think that you're not alone because when I first put out the book, there was a, a lot of resistance, especially from marketers, especially from, you know, business owners who, who had like, the big six, seven, eight figure businesses who are like, yeah, but what if we change something and then we don't have that income anymore? So Sarah, you got to show us the numbers, you know, it, it was all about numbers and tracking and, and left brain thinking. And I was like, yeah, okay. I see all of that. But what if it just doesn't work for you anymore? Like, what if it actually makes you sick because you're just so out of integrity? What if you can't sleep at night? Then what do you do? Like, where are those kind of people? And so it just meant keep showing up. The book definitely helped because now people who, you know, find that book, they're like, oh, yes, you know, we want more of that. And then they come into the community and then we talk with each other and give each other these permission slips. So that's what it, yeah, that's what it took. It just took a lot of courage to keep showing up and sharing that message. And yeah, here I am. Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah that's great. So how long have you been in this particular iteration of your business? It sounds like 2017, 2018, things really started taking off. Yeah, it probably took about two years to kind of transition. Um, I always say, you know, if you change something, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, kind of transition slowly. So I was do still doing LinkedIn work as I was building uh, of this this new business. Um, and then, of course, COVID hit. You know, yeah, I was wondering how that impacted you. Yeah, That whole thing got delayed by two years. And then I also got into a trademark mess because the minute I published the first book, uh, which was initially called uh, The Gentle Marketing Revolution, I then got into um, yeah a bit of a trademark uh, mess with someone who just deposited gentle marketing two weeks prior. Um, and so I had to change everything again, the whole website and the book. So that was kind of a, a dark night of the soul more because I... I kind of, I got disillusioned with this, my idea of the worldview. I was like, well, if a, another gentle marketer is still based in those systems and is blocking someone instead of saying, let's work together, because that's what I suggested. Can we just, you know, work together? The more gentle marketers, the better. So I was definitely in a bad place for a few weeks. And then I'm like, well, that's okay. I'm going to just, you know, build something new and, and find another term and let her have that term. Um, but then it actually wasn't that easy to come up with a new term because um, I realized that, you know, trademarking, you know, there's a lot of terms that are already taken. So, 
so yeah, everything was definitely very um, kind of slow, um, but it needed that. Like, I, I feel like, you know, COVID, basically that, that parenthesis there, it slowed us all down. So it was just like, oh, this is part of the process. And now I feel like, okay, now I'm at the momentum uh, place. Now it's taking off. Now people are starting to get humane marketing, why we need it. And then, of course, the whole discussion about AI and ChatGPT, that just, you know, even increased the interest in anything that's human. So I finally feel like, okay, now I have built something already on this humane human aspect. And now people are finally ready to hear that. And it's just, yeah, it really is a relief that finally I'm like, oh, there's people who are interested now. Yeah. Finally, it's aligns. I mean, this is the downside exactly. of Blue Ocean. Yeah. You know, they always say go, go that Blue Ocean strategy. And there's a great book on that, that concept. But you uh, may be waiting a while for the market to catch up because yep. not everyone else understands the need that you've identified. But now you feel like you're like in the thick of it. People are really starting to have these conversations. And, you know, the best response to AI is to find your own voice and your own value and like, what what is it you contribute that no one else can because you're going to have to distinguish yourself i mean we're, we're all going to be spitting out these three paragraph little descriptions of things that all sound the same so how are you going to stand out and that's um i mean great for i think ai is wonderful for idea generation brainstorming um you know getting it getting ideas out of your own head even but but you know like marketers are still very much needed and particularly the kind that you're talking about. And it also sounds like the virtual aspect of this is actually helping you because you already ha had some comfort in, in a virtual space. I and mean, when you were in California, you were doing virtual assistance. So have you built this entirely around like a global network of people that you're working with? Or is there like a Switzerland based sort of hub? Like, how do you think about your business? Yeah, yeah, no, it's totally online, um, totally worldwide. Um, that's the beauty of it, I think, as well, that um, I bring, of course, my European people, but then uh, I very much also followed in, you know, especially New York, California, that kind of seems to be the the places where this, this message is aligned with, right? And so we truly have a worldwide uh, community, and, and which, I, which I enjoy so much. That's part also of my worldview is this diversity and 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 yeah bringing all these different cultures and and worldviews together so and, and yeah what what we do without you know technology and internet and and all of that it's just amazing yeah i uh, my I, my kids are never going to know what it's like to stuff newsletters and lick stamps yeah. <laughs> that was the rite of passage growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so when you think of your network, you know, you've got the sort of inner circle of people, you know, you're going to stay in touch with. And then there's always that sort of second and third layer or tears out the people that you might see once a year at a conference or maybe someone you worked with five years ago, but you haven't had a, a reason to since um, you like each other. I should always mention that you enjoy each other's company. So how do you think about staying in touch and nurturing those kinds of looser connections like any habits philosophies practices yeah yeah it it's funny because we talked about that recently on the humane marketing circle and and some people uh, prefer kind of like you know like a process or a very structured approach to it to me um 
it's more of a right brain approach to it. And and the people that are really in my heart, they all often I often think of them. And so whenever I see something that makes me think of them, I'll reach out and 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 send send them a blog that they might be interested in. It's a lot of online communication. I'm I'm a, a highly sensitive person. So in terms of the the energy, um, I'm very aware of how often I talk to people. And, and so it's not always, oh, let's have a, a coffee chat and Zoom call. It's not always that, but it's just a small message on LinkedIn or a quick video or, or something like that, where I reconnect with people because um, I think if it's, yeah, if it's one thing that has helped me stay in business for almost 15 years, then it's definitely connections and, and, and just staying close with people. Even if, you know, you lose touch for a year, it, the online business is a small world. And so it's, it, it just, it takes one message and, and bat, boom, you're back in contact, right? So I think it's so important to keep that human. And I think actually video is a great way to do that, right? So to to stay in touch without always booking, you know, hours and hours on end on on Zoom calls. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, it's I'm hearing that when you think of someone, you you then take that as a cause to to go reach out. And I know people listening sometimes have those same things, or someone's name pops in their head, but they don't take action; they resist. And particularly if it's someone they haven't talked to in a while and you just said, hey, even if it's been a year, you know, why don't you just reach out? So could you just speak a little bit to that? Because I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And it feels very, like you said, it's like a very right brain. It's it's not a system. It's a it's a feeling. But I think that people have such hesitancy about this. And yet if they were, you know, if someone were to reach out to them, I'm sure they have, you know, be very well received. But how do you think you you sort of came to that sense of the world? And, and what would you say to someone maybe in your circles who needed some of that support? Mm. I think the first thing is that I see every human as equal. Um, so I don't think, oh, my God, Robbie has such a huge business. You know, who am I to reach out to him? I'm thinking Robbie is a fellow human and he has the same similar values. And so I'm not coming from a... I want some kind of business out of this conversation. It's just like I'm reaching out as a human uh, rather than a business owner. I think that's the first thing. So yeah, really not, oh, I'm doing this for my business, but I'm doing this as a human. <laughs> so that's the, the first thing. Um, and the second thing I forgot now, but I also had to somehow do with, with um, yeah, not not thinking of it as, this is a business activity, but this is just an activity that I do because these human beings mean something to me. So I think that's the only way I can explain it. Um, so it's not, that's why it's also not scripted to me. Like some people have these processes and, and I can always tell when it's scripted. Like I don't like these messages when it says, you know, here's my kind of pitch or whatever. So yeah, that's what works for me. That makes sense, given the the work that you're in. That um, you wanna you wanna be speaking from the heart as you're doing these things. Um, I'm wondering, you know, whether you host gatherings as part of your process of continuing to build relationships. Is I mean, I know you're hosting things for your business, but 
Um, or do you attend things where other people are hosting? Like, like how do you do this on a group level, not just a one-to-one? Right. So, so do you mean online or offline? Either. Both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, the communities are humane marketing circle there. We meet now three times per month. And those are really like, they're, they're not webinars where, you know, the people are in an audience and I'm speaking, we're all speaking. We, we have this idea of the, the leader in each chair where I bring a topic and then other uh, members of the circle also bring their topics and we discuss and we take turns and I'm uh, on one of the calls, I'm the host. And then we have ambassadors of the community who then also take turn in um, hosting other calls. And so it's really, it makes me think of my uh, community in the commune where I grew up, where the parents have these meetings and then, you know, they would raise their hands and say, say their thing and everybody would listen. So we're really learning to, um, we're learning other people's points of views. Uh, we're learning what works for their business. And then we're, tr- we're uh, being able to adapt that to our businesses. We're also learning to actively listen. <laughs> and that's kind of one thing that was yeah, it was a bit challenging for me at the beginning that I had to some sometimes uh, cut people or tell them, okay, let's move on to the next person, right? So, so things like that. So we have those gatherings, and and we just decided to meet uh, in person for the first time next year uh, in Sicily, where I um, we have a place. So that that'll be very fun. So, yeah, I I think those gatherings and groups are super important. Um, that's what people are craving now. Um, online courses, in my opinion, without any kind of human uh, community or one-on-one sessions, online courses alone, they're not the thing anymore. They're they're the thing of the past. Um, They're still being sold, of course, but I just feel like there's not full integrity of people selling them. At least that's what happened to me. I'm like, I can't offer those anymore because I just, it's a common fact that most people don't finish online courses. Um, and so, yes, you could say, well, that's up to the person, you know, it's their mistake if they don't finish it, but then I'm not doing my best. Um, you know, I'm not really in service. If I create a product that I know people are not going to finish and not going to learn, uh, from. So yeah, anyway, I went on a different tangent. I agree though. No, <laughs> we are really cut from the same cloth on this, you know, um, I distinguish course from program when I'm working with my coaching clients. A course to me, it, an online course is asynchronous, 100%. Uh, but a program may have some asynchronous content because you could always like watch a video or read something and then come to a live session. But there's always a live session in the program. And I think it, the value is so much more. Um, and I think people are more likely to complete the work uh, and be in be in and stay in community with each other because of the live sessions. And even if it's a once a month Q and A call that you add to an online course, like just having something where people have a reason to get the content done by a certain time, um, like they're they're you're giving them that time bound. Like do this section now, and then we're going to talk about it. Do this next section and talk about it. Exactly. Um, it's amazing how people want to just get rich and you know sell things and like when is, when can I make this course evergreen? I'm like. Why is that even a goal? Um, so like you, like I, I host um, the Content Connection Club every Friday. 
it came out of my No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hours that I started March 13th, 2020. I ran those weekly for free for two years. And a year ago, I launched the club and I only charge $25 a month and half the money goes to charity. So this is not how I'm making my money. But I love the community so much that people come together. And like you said, like we run it more like it sounds like you, like a mastermind, right. you know, where I share a little bit about what's going on in my business. We share wins and then people can kind of raise their hand and, you know, we talk through whatever, whatever people want to. And like you said, there's a leader in every seat. I really have never used that concept, but I, I appreciate it so much. So we're kind of wrapping up here. And I like, I always want to know <laughs> that if we were to connect a year from now and we're going to stay in touch. So this is not going to be a whole year before we do this. <laughs> but let's say it's a year from now. And I'm like, wait, Sarah, a year ago, I interviewed you. I want to know what are we going to be celebrating on your behalf a year from now? What are we going to be toasting to? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Yeah. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Um, well, definitely my community. Um, that's, the, that's my life's work now. Um, that's where I want to celebrate every uh, member and not just focus on new members, but on the existing members. That is my my mission. And I saw so many communities fail where the host always focused on growth and how can I get new members? And I'm like, and I was a member and I was like, hello, I'm right here. You know, I'm paying you monthly and don't I matter? And so I'm like, I'm never going to do this. I'm going to focus on the existing members. So definitely the, the community. And then I also have plans to uh, start writing a, a third book. Uh, don't have the clear idea yet, but it's going to be about our relationship to work, uh, how as humans, I think our relationship to work is going to change drastically over the 20 next years. And so, yeah, need to kind of define the idea more, but it's, it's in the works. <laughs> wow. Can't wait to celebrate all that with you. I love that we're connected in so many ways and I'm going to be looking for all these conversations on LinkedIn. Speaking of how can people find you and follow your work? Yeah, thank you. They can definitely find me on LinkedIn or otherwise my website, humane.marketing. So no.com, just dot .marketing. If they go to humane.marketing forward slash one page, uh, that's the uh, number one. And then the word page that uh, kind of gives them a one page marketing plan with the seven P's of humane marketing. And it's a very different approach where it's very self-reflective. So again, no blueprint, but you're a smart human being who um, basically just follows prompts and then comes up with your own way of marketing. We're going to put all those links in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really a great conversation. I really enjoyed it too. Thanks, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. 
Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 335. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week. They'll be interviewing another talent professional to overcame challenges on their way to success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Danielle Wiley hosts a great podcast called The Art of Sway. Danielle, tell us what you talk about on the show. The Art of Sway brings listeners inside the world of marketing as seen through the lens of influence. So each week I chat with an expert guest for a lively discussion about connecting ideas with audiences in an attempt to uncover all the ways influence impacts how and what we discover, purchase, and recommend to each other. Wow. And where can people subscribe? Go to theartofswaypodcast.com. Find the show at marketingpodcasts.net or search for The Art of Sway wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.